So we're here with NBA champion and coach Eddie Jordan, along with his son, Jackson Jordan, that plays basketball at Southern New Hampshire University. Uh, we're really grateful to have you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be on. Thank you for having us. Yeah, so uh, we'll intro. I'm John. I'm David. And uh, I'm Jared. Hey, guys. All right. So, hey, Jackson. So we, uh, we got a couple questions. I'll start off. This is our uh, first one is for you, coach. Uh, so you played college basketball at Rutgers, right? And yes, then 40 years later or so, you're able to get the head coaching job. What did that mean to you? That meant a lot. Um, my first head job was at, with the Sacramento Kings. I was an assistant there for five and a half years, and they decided to make a change at the, almost at the end of the year. So I had 16 games left in the season, and, um, and I was a head coach then. And then the following season, I was a head coach again for the Sacramento Kings. So it was exciting. It was um, a lot of fun. Uh, the preparation from the coaching staff uh, was a lot of fun. And obviously the games when you're coaching, it's usually a – I always like to say this. The coaches win practice and the players win games. So the, pra the coaches like – the coaches have a lot of um, a lot of responsibilities for constructing practice, for preparing the team, uh, game planning, scouting, and then once you give all the players the information, once the ball goes up for jump ball to start the game, the players have to perform. And obviously, I'm managing the time, I'm managing substitutions, but for the coaches' part, the work has already been in behind the scenes. So. That was the fun part, and it still is now when I'm doing my training here at Lifetime. It's the preparation and the construction of the of the lesson is the best part to me. That's awesome. Yeah, awesome. It must have been like such a great feeling getting that uh that first call, like, "Hey, uh, coach, we want you to take over for the rest of the season," right? Yeah, it was great. You know, it was it was strange though, uh, John. It was. Uh, we had just lost to the Clippers, probably our sixth loss in a row. We were in L.A., lost to the Clippers on a flight back. As soon as we landed in Sacramento on our chartered flight, the general manager was, was with the team. And as I was getting off the plane, he held me back. He said, I want you to just stay on the plane until everyone leaves. So everyone got off the plane, got to their cars, and left. And he told me to get in my car and follow him. It was about 1.30 in the morning. He said, follow me to my house. It's about 25-minute drive. I followed him to my house. On the on the way there, I called my mother, who was in Washington, D.C., and I said, Mom, I think I'm going to be the head coach. And it's already like 4 o'clock in the morning for her. So I get to his house. He says, look, we're going to name you the head coach. I want you to stay here because I don't want any leaks. I'm having a press conference tomorrow to leave the head coach, and then I'll announce you as the head coach. So that's how it happened. I stayed up all the rest of that night just writing pages and pages of notes and notes. And in the morning, he had a press conference to relieve the coach. And then two hours later, he announced me. We had a press conference. He announced me as the head coach. It was pretty strange, but that's how the NBA works sometimes. Wow, that's incredible. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jackson, I got one for you. Sure. Um. Entering your second season at SNU, what kind of role do you expect to be playing if you're able to have a season because of COVID and stuff? Right. Well, honestly, we have a lot of new guys, you know, a lot of guys from last year left. Uh, so basically, like, maybe more than half of our team is new. 
Oh, so, wow. Wow. Yeah. We have a lot of guys you know, <laughs> that are unsure of what their role is going to be besides maybe like a handful of returning guys. You know, Corey knows, Mikey knows what he's going to be, same as last year. Um, but, you know, I'm trying to establish myself on the team still, you know, because last year was my first year. But um, I'm trying to get into like a two-way player role, like a, I guess, um, focus on defense because uh, our team needs that, definitely. Um, and also be able to score on offense a little bit, but so I can stay on the floor for as long as possible. But, you know. Awesome. Hey. Yeah, they're definitely, definitely, it's going to be different at school this year. A uh, lot of new faces. It's, it's crazy. It's literally a completely new team. Yes. It was like that last year too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just, a, it's just a revolving door there right now. It's, yeah. it's just strange for everyone. Every college, every NBA team, everyone, high school, this is a very strange season for everyone, if there is a season. So um, so it's it's just a strange year, and hopefully we can get past it in a few months, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. It must be just, like, insane trying to start like all, like, with a new team and then, like, not knowing what you're getting yourselves into. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, you know, we have a pretty talented team, so I think we'll figure it out quickly. Our talented players. Oh, yeah, the definitely. Know each other. The guys know each other well from texting all summer, hanging out a little bit. So we already have some good chemistry. Just put there the you go. Uh, all right, Coach. I have a question for you about Jackson. Um, how much of your own game do you see in him? And did you train him to have a similar skill set to yourself, considering both of you guys played guard? Jackson loved the game from the beginning. He was just uh, an addict from the beginning, man. He was a, um, a gym rat. He loved playing. He loved watching it. He loved going out in the driveway, shooting, working on his game. Um, I uh, Jackson follows me because – uh, I was a defensive minded player first, and Jackson's the same way. Uh, he's got great defensive fundamentals. He has a desire to play defense. Uh, I had that. I had the same qualities, the same um, skill set, and I wasn't a big time scorer, but you know, I made layups and I made my free throws. So that was important. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell Jackson, make your layups and make your free throws, but. We have the same sort of, um, you know, body style. We're about six feet, six one. Um, we're, we're very good defensively. We have a defensive mindset. And uh, so he follows me that way. Um, I, I didn't train Jackson on a daily basis. He was, um, you know, he, I coached him on his eighth grade team. I watched him on his AAU teams. So I felt that other people need to coach him uh, other than myself. And I didn't want to put, uh, a lot of pressure on Jackson because I've learned over the years that when you put that much pressure on your son, that he might not like the game. He might, you know, mm -hmm. maybe too much. I wanted him to have it in his heart, not for me. And he has it in his heart. And that's the most important part. Have fun with it. It has to come from within. And that's where Jackson is. He loves the game. He loves studying it. Um, he has a, a passion for it. And I'm glad it turned out that way because if it, if I had put too much pressure on it on him, maybe he wouldn't have liked it. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, what what else do you want as like a former NBA player and an NBA coach for your son to actually have that love and desire for the game and like not for it to come through through you directly? Well, I think he's going to follow in my footsteps a little bit just on his own because I I know he has a he loves studying the game. He he watches it. Um, he knows players. He knows strategy. And I do believe he's going to be a terrific, terrific coach. Uh, on what level? That's going to be up to for him to decide. He can be high school. He can be great uh, as he moves up in the ranks. When I wanted to, I wanted to coach when I was in the ninth grade. I didn't think I was going to ever play in the NBA, although I had dreams of it. I played against the NBA players when I was in high school, and I knew I could compete with them. But my dream from the ninth grade was to coach. And I grew up in a tough area in Washington D.C., Southeast D.C. And I saw with our coach and our eighth grade team and ninth grade team, I saw how he changed guys' mindsets and how he got them to be disciplined and to follow instruction and to work as a team and be good teammates. And I knew no one else in the neighborhood could do that but the coach. And if these players that I played with in ninth grade didn't have him, they would have been in the streets doing other things that weren't good because that's the neighborhood I lived in. So, um, I said, if I can change kids' lives in that capacity, that's what I wanted to do. And I knew that when I was in the ninth grade. Wow. That's crazy. That's that is like someone like that young, you want to basically inspire and help kids and put them in the right direction that like kids your age at the time. That's, that's it, incredible. It, it's, a, it's a life changer. You know, that's what we're here for. We're here to help. And again, I was never the best player on any team. I, had, I was on very successful teams. We were undefeated going to the final four when I was in college. Uh, won the NBA championship with the Lakers. We had a great high school team in Washington, D.C. And I played football. So we had a great, we were number one in the city. I was never the best player on any team I played on, but I kept working at it and I had a love for it. And, you know, it got me to some places I never thought I got to, I would get to. Awesome. All right, Jackson. How old were you when you could finally beat your dad in 1v1? <laughs> Oh man. Um ah, Dad, I don't know. Do you, I See, said, coach, this one you should have chimed in and said he'd never beaten you. <laughs> well <laughs> he could beat me because my knees are I mean, I train kids, I train a lot of players now, but I don't do a lot of running around. I don't jump I, I can't jump as high as he can. I never could. Um and Jackson is much stronger than I ever was at his age. So he could beat me up right now for sure. And he could have done it yeah. years ago, but I wouldn't give him the chance. Yeah. No way. I remember I remember in elementary and like maybe early middle school, we used to play in a, outside. And then yeah. he beat me the first one or two games. After that, he stopped playing because of his knees. So I didn't have a chance to get my revenge. Uh, That's awesome. Oh, geez. I could, beat That's him. Incredible. I could beat him if we played to two points. He could be just late to 10. That's right. Just, exactly. just give you the first shot and then it's over, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. I, I got a question for Coach now. Yeah, sure. Uh, after first getting drafted uh, to the NBA and, like, moving out to, like, your team's new city and stuff, uh, what was going on in your head when you first got traded uh, halfway through your rookie season? Well, let me just go back to my first time with the Cleveland Cavaliers. They, they drafted me. And when I was a teenager, and even maybe a little bit younger, I was a young teenager, teenager and going through high school, my two idols were Austin Carr 
who was from Washington, D.C., played at Notre Dame College University, and Walt Frazier, who played for the Knicks, because we kept wa we watched them all the time. Austin being from D.C., Austin Carr, and Walt Frazier with the Knicks. When I was drafted by Cleveland, both of them were on my team. Oh, wow. So yeah, I actually I played, was looking some things up, and I saw that. So when you mentioned I, those names, I was like, I saw those earlier today. I played with my idols my, my rookie year. As soon as I stepped in the NBA locker room, they were my two That's idols awesome. ever, and they were my teammates. So when I was – actually, what happened was that year in the NBA, the NBA experimented with a 11-man uh, roster. It was 12 men on the team. Back then, it was only 20 teams, 22 teams, and it was only 12 men to a team, 12 players on a team. So that year, they wanted to experiment with an 11-man roster. So – um, when the deadline came in December 16th, something like that, the head coach, Bill Fitch, we were in Buffalo, about to play the Buffalo Braves. He called me down to his room and says, look, we're going to let you go because there are teams that want you. And uh, I said, well, okay, if teams want me, that's fine. If they don't want me, then I'll just go back and get my master's degree and move on. So uh, when I got back to my room, the New Jersey Nets called me a couple of hours later and said, we just picked you up off of waivers. We want you to come to New Jersey and play in the next 48 hours. Because when you're wow. traded, when you're traded or when you had to report to a team, they give you two days. And it was funny because we were in Buffalo and that game for the, Ca the Cavaliers and the Buffalo Braves game was canceled because it was a snowstorm. So I had to wait until I could travel, which was only another day, out of Buffalo, go back to Cleveland, and get to New Jersey to play. And I, I had a good career with the Nets. Jeez. I, so that was in strange. Terms of like, yeah, the like snowstorm and stuff, that, that sounds like a huge mess to deal with at that time. You couldn't even, you couldn't even leave the front door of the hotel. The snow drifts in Buffalo, New York, was so, was so big. You couldn't even leave out the hotel that night. But, you know, I had to wait another 12 hours, another day, 24 hours to leave the hotel to fly back to Cleveland and get some things and fly into New Jersey. So, and I was familiar with New Jersey because the Nets played at Rutgers University those two years I was, or three years I was there. So I was very familiar with where I was going and, you know, um, and the arena. Wow. Yeah, that's... um. That, was it like, like at first difficult to process when they told you that they were going to let you go, or were you just like taking it as as it like as what it was? Well, it's it, that's a good question, very good question because I don't. You're almost in a daze when you. I went back to my room and I said, well, "Geez, what am I going to do now?" You know. Um, uh, and my first thought was, "I want to finish school. I want to get my master's." And my first thought was I wanted to start uh, or manage or own a health club. That was, that was my area. I was started health and phys ed at Rutgers University. I finished up in um, management, labor studies and management. But um, I was health and phys ed when I was an undergraduate there. And I wanted to just go into that in that area. I wanted to do health clubs. I wanted to own a health club and, and do that. So that was on my mind. But before the night was over, the Nets called me and said, hey, we picked you up. You want me to come to and play for New Jersey? And that's how it went. So <laughs> it was a quick it was a quick days. And then reality came right back and hit me in the face. <laughs> it's like that all just came in your mind and then it was out just just <laughs> like that. Yeah, just like that. It was strange. It was a very strange night for sure.
<laughs> All right, so Jackson, this is a uh, kind of similar. So you obviously made the uh, decision to transfer schools, right? Um, yeah. What was the process like? What's the decision making process um, like when, on transferring schools? Like, give us like, feel free to explain your journey from LIU to SNU. So um, my freshman year at LIU, I was I redshirted, um, so I didn't play the whole year. I practiced a little bit because I was hurt. Um, then the next year, we go through off-season, preseason workouts, you know, playing pickup, conditioning. And the last, the very last day of, condi- of conditioning, we're outside in the morning at 6 a.m. running miles. We go to class after that. And in the middle of class, we get a text from our coach saying, everybody come to the locker room. And we get to the gym. We walk, my team, we're walking in. The whole, all the athletes are crying in the gym. And our coach, we go in the meeting, our coach tells us, um, we're not going to have a season because they're cutting sports at LIU because they're merging with LIU Brooklyn. So we had a, we had a decision to either play, basically play for nothing because the school is going to be nothing next year, or athletics are going to be nothing this year, or we could just not play, sit out, redshirt, and then transfer. So about two of us, me and Alonzo, um, from the, the year before, we played. I played because I redshirted. He played because he's just an animal. He loves playing. He loves basketball. Um, he averaged 30 points that year. So we went through that season. I had an okay season. That was basically my freshman year. Um, and so the season ends. I'm looking at other schools. And the first, the really, the only school that I had on my mind was SNU. Because at my prep school, my coach had a connection with the old coach there, Stan Spiru. And I went on a visit there when I was in prep school, had a good workout, had a good pickup game. And he offered me a, a partial scholarship, I believe. It was like two-year walk-on, two-year scholarship. And I didn't, it was a bad decision, but I didn't end up going because I thought it was too far from home. Prep school had me like homesick the whole year. So I wanted to come to New York, which is a little bit closer. And then school gets shut down, athletics get shut down. And um, I get on my, the phone with my prep school coach. He puts me in contact with Coach Perry, who's the coach at SNU now. I go in for a workout, had a good workout again. And he offered me to come here. Oh, wow. Yeah, Coach, uh, coach Perry, he's, he's, he's quite character you he's um <laughs> yeah that the laugh yeah. says it all yeah. <laughs> uh, i love i love great. coach perry though i love coach perry he's a great guy he's 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 um he's got two sides to him he's got the the side you see on the court and then the uh the nurturing you know side that he has yeah. but uh character is definitely very, a good word for it very intense <laughs> well for him to offer jackson a place uh, a position on the team that that's good, you know, for him to offer Jackson to come. He he welcomed at Jackson, and that that's a good man to me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right, Coach. You know, first firsthand, what was the rivalry rivalry like between the Celtics and the Lakers as a player <laughs> and a coach? <laughs> uh, that's a good one. I I can't wear. You know how intense that rivalry was, and still is. I can't wear green. I can't put green in my wardrobe. 
I can't wear green. <laughs> no one that I know close to me can wear green around me. Oh so, my gosh, that's, that's crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> that's that's a true thing. Um, when I when I was coaching with the Lakers a few years ago, we couldn't. No one could wear green in the practice facility. So Kobe made sure no one wears green. So everybody with the Lakers, you can't wear green in the practice facility. If you did, you have to take it off or get out. But the rivalry was awesome. It was it was intense. Um, you know, we had rivalries with with the Sixers. Also, we beat the Sixers one year for the championship. The next year, they came back and beat us. But because you only play them twice a year, and they both were on national TV, it was a highlight of one of the, of the NBA season. That's how intense it was. Obviously, with Larry Bird and Magic, uh, with that matchup, that made it even better or, or oh, rougher. I can imagine. So, um, yeah, even with Kobe, I mean, you go down the line with the stars of the Lakers and the stars of the Celtics, you had matchups that guys just didn't like each other on the court, you know. And um, if you watch a Kobe any Kobe interview, if you watch the Muse, if you watch his story, he will tell you he did not like the Celtics. Um, magic, <laughs> magic is the same way. We were the same way. My teammates, we looked forward to that game. We didn't play them. We played them in the championship my last year with the Lakers, but um, and they beat us in seven. Uh, I was on the injured list, but uh, it was it was a tough game. It was a tough series. We had lost to the Sixers before that, and we had beaten the Sixers a year before that. But um, yeah, that's some that's how intense it is, guys. You can't wear green around me. So, wow! <laughs> awesome. All right, that's that's noted. We, yeah. we won't be wearing any green <laughs> if you uh, if you come up for some games if, if Jackson has a season, and we will not be wearing any green. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding, but I'm kidding for you guys. But that's for real. That's a real thing. That's wow. That's like that's unbelievable. Yes. Yeah, so it's it's a good question, and this is a real rivalry. I remember the first time when my dad was coaching the Lakers um, back in 2013 or 2012. When I came out there and I was going to go to a practice with him, with him, the first thing he told me was, make sure you're not wearing any green when you come in the practice. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing he said. Well, I wonder if, uh, you know, have you ever seen like the picture, the pre-draft Kobe Bryant picture of him in the Celtics uniform? Mm-hmm. I wonder if he ever like looked back and be like, oh, I wish I wasn't doing that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's funny. <laughs> fact that you couldn't even wear it that's wow all right but um so on the uh topic of kobe so do you have any crazy like kobe bryant stories that you might have for us that people might not know about or just something like that you know about kobe that people wouldn't know because that we would love to hear something <laughs> well just one story maybe just two one one um he wanted me to work him out every morning before training camp so i would meet him at the practice facility about five o'clock in the morning um, he would stretch for about 35, 40 minutes. Then he would come on the court, just he and I, um, because he wanted the coach then at the time, Mike Brown, he wanted Mike Brown to hire me because he wanted to know, he wanted the Lakers to run the offense that I ran with the Wizards and with the, and with the Nets when we went to the finals and we lost to the Lakers and he loved the offense and he knew I was the designer of the offense. Um, so he asked me, he said, when you come out, I want you to work me out. I want you to show me every route, every movement, every footwork in the offense. 
And that's what I had to do every morning, five o'clock in the morning, about two weeks before training camp started. And I showed him every route he had to make from the guard position, from the forward position. Um, and then obviously we would do some shooting drills. So that's, that was something that it was very special to me. And I remember doing a practice during that year, we had this quote unquote super team. We had Nash, Kobe, yeah. uh, Metis, uh, World Meta Peace. We had Dwight Howard, his first year, and Powell Gasol with our starting five. And Dwight was just coming off of his back surgery. He wasn't really supposed to play a game until mid-January, but he came to training camp. He played. He played the first game of the year. And as, you know, we weren't having a great year. And one practice, Kobe and Dwight were on the same team, and he, they were really going at the other team. It was really a fight in practice, you know, a battle. And for the, one of the last possessions of the game, of the, of the scrimmage, Dwight didn't get a rebound or a loose ball. And Kobe was so mad at him. He was so mad that he walked <laughs> off the floor. And, uh, so the other team scored, and, we, and Kobe and Dwight lost the scrimmage. So Kobe walked off the floor, and he made eye contact with me. And I kind of whispered. I said, Kobe, you, you got to tell Dwight he's got to get that ball. <laughs> I whispered. So he was near the table. With all, he was near the scorer's table where we have all the tape and the gum and all the stuff. And he wiped that table out. He just wiped it out. He said, Eddie Jordan, I don't have to tell him anything. And he just went off and off and on. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I didn't want no one. I didn't want anyone to know that I told him that. That's why I whispered to him. <laughs> so he was so mad. He wiped everything off the table with his arms and just went off and said, I shouldn't have to tell him that. And blah, blah, blah. So, but in Dwight's, on Dwight's defense, Dwight still was recovering from a serious back surgery. And he, again, this was not even Christmas. And he wasn't supposed to really play until January, but he had played up to that point. So, yeah, Dwight had some, had some limitations physically at the time. But <laughs> Kobe didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to hear it. <laughs> but, so that's the only Kobe story I had. And I was there. I was there. You know, that was a year at the end of that season when he tore his Achilles tendon. And, you know, he wanted to shoot those free throws when he should have been off the floor. You know, so, but he made those two free throws and he walked off with some help. And that was a sad. Yeah. That was a sad night. Yeah, you gotta tell them what Kobe does when he wants the ball. Why do they call him the Black Mamba? Oh, uh, because he says he makes this hissing sound. That oh that's really? He wants the ball. <laughs> yeah, he'll break a play. Like okay, Kobe, you're supposed to go around this screen, pop out, catch it, pass it. He don't want to hear that. Just that's the sound. Him like a, hiss, a hissing sound of a snake. It's no play. Just throw it to me in the post. So that was that was Kobe. That was the black wow. mamba. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's and, crazy. And Jack, you know, when Jackson Play came out when Jackson came out to 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 the to LA, he watched a couple of games and Jackson came back in the locker room in the training room and he said, you know, he introduced himself. I introduced him to Kobe and Kobe said, Yeah, I heard you went to I heard you went to my junior high school or middle school, wasn't it, Jackson? Yeah, uh, middle school. He went to Kobe's middle school, so Kobe remembered that. That was funny. Real quick, it's funny that you brought up uh, Kobe and Dwight because social media thinks they have like a really bad beef. So, can you speak on that? Like, do they actually have beef, or was just Kobe like that in practice? <laughs> well, no, Kobe. Uh, we weren't having a great year. That matter of fact, when 
Um, the year I was with the Lakers as assistant coach, um, Mike Brown got fired five games into the season, guys. I mean, that was strange. That was Jeez, one of the I do remember games. that. Yeah, and so they hired Mike D'Antoni, who, you know, he kept me on the staff. So Mike D'Antoni um, knew Kobe a little bit because Mike D'Antoni was assistant coach for USA Basketball, the Olympic teams and all that. So, uh, we, again, we weren't having a great year. We were in Memphis for a shoot-around, for a game, and that shoot-around, something happened, and Mike D'Antoni says, look, let's go back to the locker room and let's all our problems out because everyone knew there was a tense sort of atmosphere with Kobe and Dwight because Dwight has this, you know, he has this joyful childlike, uh, you know, personality, you know, mm. he's just always laughing. He makes some jokes, but he's, he works hard. You know, he loves playing. He wants to win, but Kobe wasn't like that. He wasn't childlike. He wasn't happy. You know, he wasn't that type of guy when you're playing basketball. So Mike D'Antoni says, look, let's air all this out in the locker room once we get once we're done with shoot around. And we're in Memphis. So Kobe goes off. He just went off on Dwight. Dwight, you're just, you know, you're this, you're that, you're too, you're, you're too happy, you know. This is don't be a clown and blah blah blah. And and Dwight's sitting there and Dwight knows, you know, it's a pecking order. And Dwight knows Kobe's at the top of the of the food chain here. So he doesn't say much, right? So he's just kind of sulking it up, and that, and that was it. So after the meeting, that Mike D'Antoni came back with the coaches and says, well, you know, we thought the same way with the USA team, that Kobe was selfish, and Kobe was this, <laughs> and Kobe was too too serious. And this. He, oh, so, so Kobe, to end that, that rant that Kobe had, Kobe, said, Kobe says, that's why USA basketball didn't want you on the team, right? <laughs> that hurt Dwight. So, so when the meeting was over, Mike D'Antoni came back to the coach and says, well, you know, USA basketball didn't really want Kobe on the team because he was too serious. <laughs> so, so that's how that was funny. That was funny. So, that yeah, that was the I wouldn't say a beef. It was just a different person. It was a different um, just opposite ends of the of personalities. You know, Kobe was, you know, he was all in with seriousness and, you know, not smiling. He had to he had to growl. And Dwight had the smile and the laugh and, you know, joking with the audience. I mean, with the fans, Kobe wasn't like that. So that, that I wouldn't call a beef. It was just two different personalities. Hmm. All right, Jackson. I was looking up your plo- – uh, sorry. I was looking up your player profile from LIU Post, and it says that you're, the, the ath- athlete you admire the most is Kobe. So – which is understandable based on the stories they did as just told us. <laughs> but can you share uh, your favorite Kobe moment, whether it was like watching one of his games or something that happened like with him? Um, well, my favorite Kobe moment was definitely the moment my dad talked about earlier, uh, me being able to meet him mm. uh, back in the locker room in Los Angeles. But watching him play, I'd say – the moment that sticks out to me is his 60-point game. Uh, it's chills. like the energy in the oh, building. Yeah, yeah, chills. Every time you watch it, it's yeah. it, it's crazy. His last game as an NBA player, right? Yeah. That was his yeah. last game. That, was a, that, that what made it so special. It was his last game. Everyone knew it was his last game. It wasn't like he retired months after that. He knew that was his last game, and everyone knew, and he scored 60. That's amazing. Truly amazing. Yeah, yeah. Also, 
he, my other one, the same season I saw him play in DC because it was obviously his last time coming to DC. And he didn't, he didn't have too many like great games that year. But when he came to DC, it came back against the Wizards. He hit like three clutch shots with the last minute within the last minute of the game, and the Lakers won. That was mm. it was just crazy oh, to man. see in person. Uh, I mean, as Celtics fans, we all grew up like kind of not liking him so much. <laughs> but I mean, after he retired, like a lot of like our us and our friends like really appreciated how great he actually was. <laughs> yeah, I I yeah, wasn't really he was, the biggest. He's unbelievable. I wasn't really the biggest Kobe fan um, until my dad started coaching him. Um, mm. I was really a Gilbert Arenas guy <laughs> until then. Ooh, there you oh, go. Oh yeah, <laughs> Arenas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. That, that's that's incredible just like all the uh the things you get to experience going through the league as like a player and a coach so that actually kind of leads me into my next thing so like there's an incredible list of people that you've either coached or played with starting like Allen Iverson Kareem Magic Johnson mm-hmm. even you know you got some Brian Scalabrini in there too I'm pretty <laughs> sure like what just what is it like being around like these larger than life people like, cause us, like we're twenty-year-old kids. That if we saw one of these guys, we'd be freaking out and like fanboying over them. But for you, it's like normal. It's like, what's it like? Well, it's it's for me because you know we were I was part of it. But um, those guys are all those guys are special because they they made it to the highest the highest step on the ladder. When you get to the NBA, it's the best in the world. Um, you have to have some special um, you know skills. You have to have talent. You have to have character. You have to have toughness. Um, you have to be a good teammate. Um, and all the things that make up of a, a good NBA player is um, just a will to, to be good, you know, a will to be the best and a will and a determination to, um, to prove your worth. So that's what, that's what it is. And, you know, guys, once they're off the floor – they're just they're normal guys you know they they love to have fun we joke we, we you know um they go out to dinner they go out to lunch um they have families um so they have a different routine than most people you know you you rely on your body to for your career so after practice or after a game you work on your body you know you get treatment you go you go home you rest you get off your legs so that's why they are a little bit different from everyone else. They just stay, they, they work on their bodies and they study the game, but their bodies are the tool and you have to take care of your body. And that's what they do. But I admire those guys. It's it's very competitive world. It's a very competitive world of professional sports. Um, so you always have to work on your game. Yeah, that's great qualities. It <laughs> yeah. takes, you know, um, coach, I got one like final question for you before we wrap things up. Okay. Um, so like you said, you were the coach at Rutgers. Um, so we're from New Hampshire. Uh, did you take place in, um, recruiting Geo Baker at all? I just kind of thought of that this I did morning. Not, I did not. Um, Geo Baker came a couple of years after me, uh, maybe one or two, yeah, uh, a year after me or two. I can't remember, but, um, I did not. I did not. Co- I did not recruit Geo Baker. I did coach Boston College, so I know New England. 
I mean, I okay. Coached, and I recruited, I recruited uh, the, the Hams, the, the Berkshires, the um, uh, Stone. The, what's the what's the prep school up there again? You guys remember? And the Berkshires in Man and Massachusetts. Um, yep. I can't um, remember. I can't remember the name. name too. Um. So yeah, so I recruited a lot, and not so much New Hampshire and Vermont, but um, Maine. I went. To, I've gone to Maine, Connecticut. Um, so obviously Massachusetts, um, upstate New York, then you had a lot of traveling to go to different schools. It's almost opposite than what it is now. You, you would recruit the kid in high school. You would talk to the high school coach. You go in the kid's home and now it's, you know, you see him, kid may commit before his senior year. You recruit mostly AAU games and his coaches, and you hardly ever go to the kids' home, so so <laughs> it's almost the opposite. But no, I love I love the New England area, um, but I did not recruit Geo Baker. But gotcha. I, I just figured I'd ask because we don't ever really uh, we don't really get much coming out of New Hampshire, so I was like, <laughs> it might be worth a try. Yeah, no, I love I love Geo. I you know I met him and uh, I mentored him for a little bit. <clears throat> uh, I mentored him a little last couple of years. I didn't haven't talked to him since the COVID, but. Um, yeah, he's a good kid. He's he really. I, don't, I didn't see him in the box score last night though. They beat Syracuse, and someone I've got a lot of calls. Not a lot. A few calls that said I didn't see Geo Baker in the box score. Did he not play? So I don't so know I was actually looking at his stats before the uh, the game, and he's only played in one game. I don't know why I didn't have time wow. to look at that. But, really? but he's he's only played in one game out of four so far. So he might he might have an injury or something, yeah, or maybe it has something to do with COVID. Yeah. Wow. But, but yeah, Ron he's Harper he's looking Jr. good. Ron, Ron Harper Jr. is averaging twenty one points a game before last night's game, so he's a good player. Yeah, very good. Solid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think that's all we got for you. Is that is that it, guys? Yeah, good? that's all I have. Uh, Coach and Jackson, this was amazing. We really appreciate it. this. Was literally this is like the opportunity of a lifetime for us. <laughs> we, we don't ever get to do anything like this. This is incredible. Well, I had John. chills the whole time. John, David, and Jared, thanks, man. It was a pleasure. It's always good to go down memory lane. Thanks, guys. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and it's Thank always you, good man. to hear Jackson. Oh, yeah, right? <laughs> yes. Because he's all, we always text, and he's always going to see some special person. So Yeah, that, that special person that lives all the way up near me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Call your father, Jackson. Don't forget. <laughs> Uh, okay, guys. Thanks. I love being. Alrighty, here. thank you. Okay, thank you. All right, All right see you guys. guys. See ya. Bye.